We're going to continue to, to work our way through the 52 verses every believer should know from O.S. Hawkins' book. And we're going to be in Jeremiah today. One of my favorite prophets. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And, uh, and he's known that, uh, that way because he weeps a lot. Uh, he is upset a lot. Frankly, God told him that at the very beginning. Uh, at the very, J Jeremiah chapter 1, God tells him, I'm going to put my words in your mouth, and you're going to speak them, and the people are not going to listen. And yet, Jeremiah does this. And so he's constantly, uh, constantly at odds with the world he lives in because he's, he's been given a, a word from the Lord that they don't want to hear. So Jeremiah is one of my favorite prophets. And, and, and we're, so we're going to look at these verses. Now, context is really important this morning. So we're going to look at it first because, because uh, Jeremiah, it, 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 well, there's a... I always say text without context is pretext. And so we always want to look at context, at least to some degree. But in, in Jeremiah in particular, it's important. So we're going to look at some of the, the context verses around Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. We're going to look at some of the, the context as well. We are going to do this in the usual, in, in the way that we started at the beginning of the year. We're going to first look at it with the, the so what's. So what does this say about God? So what does this say about me? And so what do I need to do now that I know this about God and myself? Then we're going to look at it at, at verse 33, phrase by phrase. And then we're going to look for, I, I started telling you every verse, every, every uh, section of scripture has both a, a comfort and a challenge. We're going to look for the comfort and we're going to look for the challenge. So we're going to do this in our, in our, in our study tips way. So I, we're first going to read Jeremiah 33, verses 2 and 3. It is up here behind me. The Lord who made the earth, the Lord who forms it to establish it, the Lord is his name, says this, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things you do not know. So let, again, let's look at context first. As I said, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah was told right in, in, in the first chapter that, that God is going to give him a message. He's going to put his words in Jeremiah's mouth. Jeremiah is going to speak them and the people are not going to listen. Jeremiah knows this right up front. And so he's courageous, if nothing else, right? Because perhaps for some of us, if God said that in chapter 1, then it's pretty well over in chapter 2. <laughs> but Jeremiah goes on for several chapters. So Jeremiah does what, what, uh, what God says he needs to do. Now, in chapter 33, Jeremiah is in prison. He's in prison because he said what God told him to say, and the king didn't like it. So he's in prison when he says this. So what we have in the context here. Is, is Jeremiah's in prison for saying what God told him to say, and now God is going to tell him what comes next. God's going to say what comes next. Now, theologians like to place all of human history in, in these four categories or phases, if you will. Creation, then the fall, then redemption and restoration, 
and then glory. And we actually can see all four of these in this section of Scripture. We can see in, in, in verse 2, he starts with creation. Then as you, as you look through down to about verse 16 or so, you see all of these phases or all of these parts of human history all taking place. So we'll kind of look for those as we go along. Now, just past verse 3, verses 4 and 5 are about judgment. The people have have walked away from God. And so verses 4 and 5 are about judgment. And then we have the promises again. We have the promise in verse 3, and then we have two more promises in verses 6 through 8, which will be up here. Yet I will certainly bring health and healing to it and will indeed heal them. I will let them experience the abundance of true peace. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and of Israel and will rebuild them as in former times. I will purify them from all the iniquity they have committed against me and I will forgive all their iniquities that they have committed against me, rebelling against me. So in the context, realize that these great and incomprehensible things that God's talking about here, that he says he will show Jeremiah, that he says he will show us, in the context, they are his wrath on sin and his restoration. So these great incomprehensible things are the great wrath of God and the great restoration of God. So we see that in the context of these verses. So, what does this say? What does this, this section of scripture? What does this tell us about God? We start out with a pr- pretty powerful statement of God the Creator, don't we? In verse two, it says He made the earth, He formed it, and established it. We have the the Creator God. Now, I want you to consider why is this here? Jeremiah knows this. Why is it here? It's here to remind Jeremiah and to remind us that when he says that, he'll, that, that he will answer us when we call, this is the God that we call to. The God that is so powerful that he can speak things into existence. He speaks and things happen. Now, there's parents in here. You know when you speak, nothing happens. When God speaks, stuff happens. So it's in here as a reminder of who God is. So the first, first thing we see about what this says about God is that he is the most powerful, the awesome, the all-powerful God. And, and, and verse 2 and, and, and 3, the same God who creates and establishes everything is personal. He is personally involved intimately involved in each of our lives. The God that's, that's described in verse 2 that formed and established everything we know will answer you when you call. Kind of amazing, isn't it? Kind of amazing. He is a personal, intimate God. He is making a promise that when we call, he will answer. That's our God. And and then the context, verses 4 and 5 that I talked about, tell us God hates sin. He hates it. 
And he will even remove his presence from the people when they sin. He hates sin. But then, verses 6 through 8 tells us he's the God of restoration. He restores those who turn from their sin and turn to him. This is what we call repentance. To repent literally means to turn from sin to God. It's not enough just to sin less. It is turning from sin to God. That, that is repentance. And it says here in this context, verses 6 through 8, it tells us that he is the God of restoration for, for those who repent and turn to him. So what does this say about us? Well, it says that God is intimately involved in our lives. It says that he desires that we call on him. He wants, uh, wants to hear from us. He says, if we call, he will answer. So he desires to show us who he is. He desires to show us great and incomprehensible things. Have you ever had a prayer request answered in a way you never saw coming, you never expected, in a great and incomprehensible way? I have. I think we all have. We've all seen, we tend in our, in our prayer uh, life, we tend to tell God what we need, how we need him to do it, and when we need it by. And that's bad. Yes, thank you. Put that on the bad list. This says God wants to show us great and incomprehensible things. He wants to show us restoration that we can't even understand, that we can't even wrap our minds around. Can you wrap your mind around the fact that God can speak and, and, and things appear? I can't. And yet, I know it about him, but I can't completely comprehend that. And he can show me even more incomprehensible things. Great and incomprehensible things. And once again, we see the, the, the love and care of God for us. Why would this God, the God that's described in, in verse 2, why would this God want to hear from me at all? Yet he does. He wants to be involved in my life. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be intimately involved in who you are and what you do. That's the God. That, the God that's described in verse 2 is our personal, intimate God. It's kind of amazing. So what do we need to do? I think it's clear here. We need to turn from our sin and turn to God, and we need to call upon him. If he desires that we call upon him, and he promises that he will answer if we call upon him, then what do we need to do? Call upon him. <laughs> we need to be calling upon God. Oh, well, We've talked a few times here so far this year we sort of have this idea that, uh, that, that we're supposed to handle the little stuff and we give God the big stuff, right? We'll handle the everyday junk and let God just deal with the really big stuff. Why? Why do we do that? We have the God described in verse 2 available to us anytime, anywhere we call. Why would we not do that? 
Because we're stubborn? Because we're selfish? Why would we not call upon the God that's described here? That's what we need to do. Repent from our sin, from the context, and call upon Him. So let's look at verse 3, phrase by phrase. Call to me, and I will answer you. The word call is, is also translated elsewhere in the Bible as come to, or seek, or recite. So I think this, uh, Hawkins in his book ties this pretty much to prayer, but I think worship fits here too. Because we call to God, we recite to God, we seek God in worship and in prayer. And so I think it fits both prayer and worship. And, and it's, not, it's not just here that he promises to answer uh, Psalm 91. Let me read you verses 14 to 16 of Psalm 91. Because he has set his heart on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with long life and show him my salvation. That's the promise of God on the one who sets his heart on God and calls upon the name of the Lord. We need to call on God. The, the God that's described in verse 2 here that, that formed everything we know is available to us to call anytime. He's not only hearing you, he is listening to you. And he cares about what you're telling him. We need to call upon God. And, you, and, and then it says, and, and tell you great and incomprehensible things. Incomprehensible things is, is hidden things or what seems impossible, what is completely out of sight or not apparent. That's the, the idea of the, that word usage. And, and I asked earlier, have you ever had a prayer answered this way? I think all of us have. You know, as I related this in my mind to prayer and to worship, I realized that we really kind of separate prayer and worship in a strange way. We, we just sang songs that talked about God being our anchor in the eye of the storm, that talked about how, how I called and you answered and rescued me. And yet, when we pray, we pray small. We pray like, oh, please, God, could you, when we have just sang how much God can do, why do we not pray what God can do? Why don't we pray as big as we worship? Do you know what I mean? Why are we not praying in, in the same ideas that we worship in? We worship using, talking about the faithfulness of God and talking about the, the power of God. Our God is greater and stronger. He's the healer. And then we, we weakly, meekly pray that God might heal somebody. We just sang, he's the healer. So pray healing. Pray strength. Pray as big as we worship. I think, uh, I think we miss out because we don't pray as big as we worship. What God has for us is immeasurably better than anything we can possibly imagine. It's great and incomprehensible. It's completely hidden out of sight. It is something we can't even imagine, and he can do it. And he will do it if we call upon him.
promises it here. He promises if we call, he will answer and show us great and incomprehensible things. He, he, what he has for us is immeasurably better than anything we could imagine. Why are we not calling upon God? Let's pray as big as we worship. And then the last phrase, things that you have not known. Known is, is more literally revealed. There is more to God than we possibly know. We know what God has revealed about himself according to scripture, in his word, and in nature. In the earth around us, we see God. And in his word, we hear from God. But that doesn't mean that's all there, there is to God. God is much greater than that. God is much more incomprehensible than that. We can continue to know God more when we call upon him because there's more to him to know. He has not revealed everything about himself. He has revealed enough for us to respond in faith. So there is more to God than what we can possibly imagine. So when we call upon him, we can hear great and incomprehensible things about who he is. Isn't it a bit great and incomprehensible to think that the the God that's described in verse 2 is waiting to hear from you? Isn't that great and incomprehensible? I think it is. Because he formed everything we know. Everything I see, everything I don't see, everything I can learn about, every, every bit of wisdom I could ever get, he has, and yet, there's more to him than that. There's more to him that I don't know. More to him that he can still reveal to me. But there is a level here where we have to understand that we have to trust him. If I'm going to call upon him and I'm going to to ask him to show me great and incomprehensible things, then I've got to trust him to answer it in the way he wants it answered. I can't tell God how I want it done and when I want it done by. I need to just call upon him and pray as big as I praise and give it to him. Trust him with it when I give it to him. We've got to trust him when we get there. Once again, what he has for us is immeasurably better than anything we could imagine. We see all the way through these verses, we see creation, we see the fall, sin. And and the fall doesn't, when I say the fall, I don't mean just Adam and Eve, I mean you and I, the fall. And then we see redemption and restoration. And then we see in verses 14 through 16, we see the promise of the Messiah, the righteous one the righteous branch, as it's called, that will come and sit on the throne of David forever. That's Jesus. So we see Jesus in these verses all the way back in Jeremiah's time. In the promise of God, for them an incomprehensible thought that a Messiah would come and pay for sin. For you and I, an incomprehensible thought that Jesus would die on a cross to save me. 
that he would go through what he went through to save me and to save you. Incomprehensible. And yet, it's exactly what he says. It's exactly what he promises. So what's the comfort and the challenge in these verses? I think the comfort's obvious. We can call upon God anywhere, anytime, with anything and everything. The God that created and formed and established everything we know is waiting to hear from us. That's a comfort. And the challenge? The challenge is, is from the context, we need to repent of our sin because he will remove his presence from sin. So we need to repent of our sin. And we need to trust him when we call upon him. We need to trust that he'll do it in the right way, not in our way. Yes, I, I said your way's wrong. <laughs> our way is wrong. We need to trust that he will, he will answer it in the way it needs to be answered. Will you pray as big as you praise? Will you pray with the same words and the same spirit that you have when you worship. God says, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and incomprehensible things. Will you call upon him? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. Just consider the question, do I call upon God? Or do I figure I've got daily life my own? Do I, uh, do I just muddle through daily life on my strength? Or will I call upon the, the name of the Lord? Will I call upon God? Maybe this morning you need to call upon God for the first time. Maybe this morning you understand, you, you've seen that sin separates you from God. And so you need to repent of your sin and trust that Jesus died on the cross to save you. Maybe you need to take that step this morning. It's as simple as a prayer, and you can follow along with me in your own words. And say, God, I know that I have sin in my life. I've done things wrong. I've, I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know that the Bible calls that sin. And I know that sin separates me from you. And so I call upon you Trusting that Jesus died for my sin. Paying the price I owe. And I call upon you. Show me great and incomprehensible things. Show me your salvation. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you need to let somebody know. Come and let me know. Elbow your neighbor. Come and talk to, to somebody as we go into the fellowship time, let them know that you took this step of faith today. Maybe this morning you know Christ. But as you look back over the, the, the week or the last two weeks or the last month, it's been about living in your strength. Will you make the commitment to call upon God? Because he will answer you and show you great and incomprehensible things. We make that commitment this morning. Father, we thank you for this 
your word. We thank you, Father, for the tremendous privilege that it is to call upon you and to be answered. It's amazing that you even would care, much less listen and show us great and incomprehensible things. We thank you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Pastor Jim from Porter Mountain Fellowship. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. These are sermons from our 10.30 a.m. service on Sundays. If you're in the neighborhood, stop by. We're on the corner of Porter Mountain Road and Commerce Drive in beautiful Lakeside, Arizona.